Good morning. Imagine someone brought up in a remote part of the world who'd been away from the media, knew nothing about life, suddenly emerging into our world and discovering Christianity. Imagine that person looking at what Christians believe. I should think they'd end up with a very long list of questions. But included in that list of questions, I'm fairly sure one of them would be, why is Good Friday good? It, it, it seems strange. I mean, after all, this is the day when we remember the death of Jesus. And not an easy death, a violent death. A death preceded by betrayal, rejection by those closest to him, the mockery of a trial, torture, and being nailed to a cross to die naked, a long and lingering death. Why Good Friday? Our friend might think it's, it's the wrong name. Call it Bad Friday, Dark Friday, Evil Friday. What's good about Good Friday? I want to reflect with you for a few minutes about that question. And I want to use a verse that comes from the New Testament. It's what sometimes we call a nutshell verse. I think it was Martin Luther who first coined that phrase. A nutshell verse is where the whole of the gospel is expressed in a short, simple statement, rather like a searchlight coming on into a dark, dark chamber. And the verse I want to look at comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21. And this is what we read. God made him, Jesus, who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Three words that help us to understand that extraordinary statement. The first is the word perfection. God made him who had no sin. Perfection. Now we know that in our world there are some good people. We know there are some people who are extraordinarily good. Their lives are exemplary. We sometimes even call them saints. They stand out. But Jesus was more than that. Jesus, according to scripture, was perfect in every single way, sinless. Jesus, on one occasion, talked to some religious leaders and they were going to stone him. They were so angry at what he was claiming about himself. When he said to them, well, what sin is it that you're going to stone me for? What crime have I committed? Where have I broken the law? They couldn't answer him a word. Because Jesus was the perfect one. When God created Adam at the very beginning of human existence, Adam was created perfect. But our forefather sinned. He blew it. He messed the whole thing up. And the Bible says Jesus came as the second Adam to put right what the first Adam had got wrong. 
sinless in every single way, without blemish. He kept the law of God utterly, tempted, tested, tried. But Jesus is the sinless one, perfection. The second word is the word rejection. Our verse says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. In order to fully understand that statement, we need to go back into the Old Testament. And back in the Old Testament, when worshippers came before God, they never came empty-handed. They always had to bring the offering of an animal, a sacrifice. There was even provision for those who were the poorest of the poor. Now, what, what lay behind that? Some of us who are animal lovers find that a very bizarre idea to get our heads around. But it was all to make a very important point that we can't breeze into God's presence. God is holy. And because God is holy, unholiness cannot exist in his presence. And that was why people would bring the offering of a sacrifice, a life that was given in exchange for theirs, in order that they could approach a holy God. And for hundreds of years through the Old Testament sacrificial system, people understood, were trained to believe that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And then Jesus came. And John the baptizer, right at the very start of Jesus' ministry, pointed and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And although on the surface it looks a bit of a strange statement to point at a man and say, look a lamb, what John was saying was this is God's final sacrifice, the perfect sacrifice. Jesus, the perfect one, has come to offer his life in our place. No longer the need for animal sacrifice because Jesus, God's Son, has been sacrificed for us. Most of us understand, even if we only know a little bit about sport, the, the law of substitution. In order for a player to come onto the pitch, another player has to go off. They exchange places. And the Bible says Jesus died as our sacrifice, the just, the perfect, for the unjust, the imperfect. And that's the wonder and the miracle of Good Friday. Jesus came as God's remedy for our human need of forgiveness and a fresh start. Now there are some who, when they hear that, get a bit confused. For example, some will say, so the picture is of an angry God punishing an innocent son. I remember a friend of mine talking to me about the gospel and saying, how, how could God allow his son to die like that? God couldn't have loved Jesus very much. To which my answer was, you're looking at the wrong end of the telescope. It's not a case of how little God loved Jesus, but how much God loves you. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And then there are those who get confused. And 
just think about the message of the cross as a, a message of doom and gloom. For example, Billy Connolly, the Scottish comedian. If you read his biography, I think it's the second chapter is entitled, Jesus is dead and it's all your fault. You see, as a, a little boy, he'd gone to a Catholic school and in the vestibule to the school, there was a life-size figure of Jesus nailed to a cross. A bit of a startling image for a, a young lad to get his head around. But he says, my RE teacher told me that Jesus is dead, the son of God, and it's all my fault. It's all down to me. That's not good news. That's not the message of the gospel. The message of the gospel is God loved the world so much, he gave Jesus, his son. The message is not about blame, it's about forgiveness. Perfection, rejection, and redemption. That's the third word. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And there's a mystery. There's grace that is astonishing. Not only are we forgiven, not only is the record wiped clean because of the blood of Christ shed for us, but we are made righteous. We're considered righteous in the presence of a holy God because of Jesus. The righteousness of Christ is placed to my account, to your account, and we walk free. We walk free of the past. We walk free of the chains of the present. We walk free of the fear of the future because our lives are hidden with Christ in God. I can still remember as a small child a song that we used to sing in Sunday school. The lines of which run like this. It is a thing most wonderful, almost too wonderful to be, that God's own son should come from heaven and die to save a child like me. And yet I know that it is true. He came to this poor world below and wept and toiled and mourned and died only because he loved us so. My friend from a remote part of the world who asked the question, why is Good Friday good? I'd point to that and say, because today is a day of wonder and of worship. That God's own son should come from heaven and die to save a child like you like me. Perfection. God made him who had no sin. Rejection. To be sin for us. Redemption. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's the best news. I wonder if it's real in your life though today. I wonder if that personal commitment to Christ is something that has happened. I wonder if today you stand a little bit on the outside and feel, well, 
I know people around me and my family and my, my church congregation, I, I know that they enjoy that sense of being, as the hymn writer put it, ransomed, healed, restored, forgiven. But for me, I'm not sure. I think I may have messed up too much. A friend of mine was traveling in the West Country some years ago on Good Friday. And uh, he noticed at the side of the road uh, a young man hitching a lift. Do you remember when people used to do that? <laughs> and he stopped his car and the student got in and they set off together. They were going to uh, the same city. And my friend was uh, chatting about the student and his uh, studies and, and where he wanted to go after university. Then my friend said to the student, do you know what today is? Yes, he said, it's Easter. Yeah, but, but which part of Easter? Good Friday, the student replied. My friend said, yeah, what happened on Good Friday? Why do we, why do we remember it? The student said, well, it's to do with, with Jesus, isn't it? The death of Jesus. My friend pushed. What happened then? Well, he died. He, he died on the cross on Good Friday. My friend said, why did he die? Now, the young man was getting a bit uncomfortable by this stage. But he said, as almost in an automatic way, well, he, he died to save us from our sins. And my friend said, has he? Has he? Is this just something that's written in a book? Or is it something that's real in your life and experience? God wants it to be. God wants his love to be made known in your life today. And I want to suggest, if you've never done it before, that in these moments that we're sharing together as Christians from across Christchurch, that you take a moment quietly to thank Jesus for dying for you, for coming to this world in order to be the sin bearer and to bring the gift of eternal life to you. Take a moment to do that. In fact, I want to suggest that all of us take a few moments as we reflect on this amazing statement of God's love for us in Christ. And I, I've asked if we can listen and look at the lyrics to a worship song written by a group of young Christians in Australia. Uh, the church is called City of Light. And the song is entitled Jerusalem and it it goes through the story of that first Good Friday and points to the wondrous message that in Christ we have forgiveness, we have hope, we have a future. God bless you. See him in Jerusalem
Once the sun